God's kingdom grows against all odds into the likeness of the resurrected Christ. That is the main point of the book of Acts that we've been studying together here at Grace Fellowship for the past number of weeks. God's kingdom grows against all odds into the likeness of the resurrected Christ. But what does it mean that that a, a kingdom can grow into the likeness of a person? Well, at the very least, it means that the people of that kingdom, the members of that community, taken together, should look and sound and act like that person. And we see that principle around us all the time. Parents get this. Our children look like us and sound like us and, for better or worse, act like us, at least much of the time. Sports fans get this. They literally wear jerseys featuring the colors and logos and names and numbers of their favorite players so as to be as much in their likeness as possible. Sometimes they look quite loony. And the church of Jesus should get this. The community of disciples of Jesus Christ are called to look and sound and act like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And every page of the book of Acts is filled with example after example after example of what it means to grow into that likeness of Jesus. And it cries out to us to likewise follow their example these 2,000 years later. Now, that doesn't mean that every custom or character or catastrophe will look the same today as it did then. But it does mean that the people of God back then and the people of God right here in this room and right there sitting on your couches and other seating areas over Zoom should look and sound and act like Jesus Christ. So Luke, the author of Acts, has broken down the book into several sections, each of which is designed to show us how a Christ-following church should bear his likeness and how doing so causes the church to grow even against all manner of odds against them. And so that's our aim today, friends, to, to look for the likeness of Christ in his kingdom, in his church, as he continues to grow it against all odds. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive in to find Jesus in this text. Let's pray. God, would you help me this morning to show the likeness of Christ to those who are the likeness of Christ? Permit me, God, to hold up this mirror through your word, to show us what we do look like, what we can continue to look like, and would you encourage us to do it still more, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read Acts 6, 1 through 7. Very short passage for us this morning. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, 
because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they set And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. If you are looking with us at at our outline this morning, you'll see that this first point I've entitled, The Odds, Internal Pain. And we can, we can see, if you have your, your bulletin, we have this little outline of Acts on the opposite page from your outline. And you can see there that during this section of Luke's narrative, we've seen so far two examples of external pain, and now two examples of internal pain as well. Those external pains came b- both times from jealous community leaders who were actively seeking to stop the expansion of this Jesus movement. And the internal pain thus far had come from a couple uh, within this young church who had sought to deceive the leadership by appearing to be more godly and more generous than they actually were. And now here in verse 1 of chapter 6, we come to yet another source of internal pain. And this pain stems from the fact that the church had taken it upon themselves to care for needy widows in their community. But it seems that, that this, this system they have, this system of distri- distri- uh, distributing food, was, was falling unevenly across cultural lines. So right out of the gates, we see both something very, very good and also something very wrong. What's good is that this church looks like Jesus. All throughout Jesus' ministry, we see him welcoming the weak, the helpless, and the outcasts, and calling them into fellowship with himself, all the while meeting their felt needs for healing and for food, and in some remarkable cases, even resurrected life itself. And all throughout the scriptures, we see that caring for orphans and widows and others who cannot care for themselves has always been a high priority for God. And we saw Jesus giving serious attention to each of these. And now we see the church doing the same. And that's all very, very good. But Luke also points us to a problem. Something's very wrong here. It seems that the, the Hellenistic or, or Greek-speaking, that's what that refers to, Greek-speaking widows, were being treated differently than the Hebrew widows. Now, Luke does not tell us why that was taking place. We're only told that the number of the disciples was increasing at just that time. 
And so, so it could be that whatever system they had set up for caring for these widows that, uh, and, and distributing the food, or, or perhaps more likely the money for the food, remember they had been selling their houses and possessions and, and giving to any who had need just a couple chapters ago. This is probably what was happening here as they're distributing it. But that system was breaking down. So perhaps it was just, it had just been one or two people who were in charge of this whole thing and they just lacked community connections among the Hellenists. And so it wasn't, it wasn't anything intentional. It, it just overlooked it. It fell through the cracks. Or perhaps whomever was responsible for distri- distributing the food simply couldn't understand the Greek that was being spoken. That wasn't their native language. They weren't, they weren't used to it. Maybe the accent was difficult or whatever else. I mean, if someone came in those doors asking me for help this morning and they only spoke Chinese, I don't speak Chinese. I wouldn't understand how to care for them as effectively as they needed. That could have been happening here. Or perhaps in, in this imperfect world, in this imperfect church, even here in this early church that we, we look to as models, they weren't perfect people. And so it could be that, that, that it, it could have been a result of the, the common and vile uh, corruption of racism, which easily and often covertly entangles every community in encounters. We don't know. <clears throat> Regardless, there was much at stake here. And, and in fact, there's far more at stake here than it at first might seem. Because not only are we talking about the physical needs of these Hellenistic widows, but we are also talking about representing the character and the reputation of Jesus. Because when the watching world, from the Hellenists to the Hebrews to the Gentiles, saw that this is how Christians treated their own, then they would draw the logical conclusion that therefore this Christ must not be so great. Does he not care for his people? Will his church care for his people? So what do the apostles do? By what means will they show the true character of Jesus to the church and to the world? The answer is found in the likeness of Christ himself. See, we're told in verse 2 that the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. The full number. If, If you've been tracking in the book of Acts, that's thousands of people. By this time, I have no idea where they met. Where would they fit? How did this get organized? I I can't even picture it. But what better way to show the likeness of Christ than gathering together the likeness of Christ in the church, the full number of the disciples, the whole body meeting together. And then the 12 lay out the problem, which is that they, the 12 apostles, had been called by God to prayer and ministry of the word. That's what they said. But But they also saw the need for the church to care well for the entire community, Hebrew and Hellenist alike, a word that that they were, or a work that they refer to, that is, as, as serving tables. There's this prayer and ministry of the word, and then there's this serving tables component. So what do they mean by that? What do they mean by serving tables? It's an important question because I believe that it's easy to misunderstand what they mean by that. Because we could possibly hear in that that prayer and preaching are important. 
You know, people that do the prayer and preaching, even this morning, we stood up front. And we're being featured on Zoom. You know, that sounds like this is the important work. But the people serving the tables, they don't, they don't show up on your screen. They're in the background. You don't see them. And so maybe we hear this as serving tables. Well, someone's got to do it, I guess, I suppose. But we are the apostles. And we can't be bothered with those trivial matters. So who can we give this job to? It's possible to read it that way. But friends, that would be altogether incorrect for several reasons. The first reason is that the word used for ministry here, in the Greek, it's the same word used for serving. So we could just as easily translate this, this, these, these ideas as service of the word and the ministry of tables. Those words are very closely related. A second reason could be seen by simply examining the criteria that the apostles set for these people. Each of these table servants must be men of good reputation. And they must be full, full to the brim with the spirit and, a, and with wisdom. These aren't the kind of people that, that you would look down on as menial laborers. These are the kinds of people you'd, you'd come up to them and say, would you mentor me? Would you teach me what you know of the spirit and, and of your wisdom? So that's the second reason. A third reason that we mustn't think of this as a lesser responsibility. I think this is the most compelling reason. Is that Christ's reputation and his character are what's on the line here. Sometimes his character is displayed through the preaching of his word. And sometimes his character is displayed through loving, merciful, and practical care for the needy. Those must be the church's priorities because those were Jesus' priorities. And those must be the church's ministries because those were Jesus' ministries. Just go back and read Luke's gospel. It's on every page. To show off Jesus' likeness requires a combination of these preacher prayers and these table ministers. So the emphasis that the 12 are making here is not that word ministry is better and serving tables is lesser, but rather that we, the 12, the ones explicitly commissioned by Christ to preach his word, we are not to take on this ministry of tables. But we believe that there are some of you in this gathered number of the full disciples, there are some of you here right now, some of you likewise called by Christ, who should take that job on and together... We will show the likeness of Christ to the world. That's what they're saying. And that is how the community here, that gathered thousands, that's how they hear it too. And we know that because according to verse 5, everybody loves the idea. Have you ever been in a room of even a hundred people who unanimously love an idea? Thousands. All yay, all shout, yes, that's it, amen. Let's do that. 
And so they go about the selection process for these table ministers, this new, this new job. The apostles ask the community for seven suggestions. The community puts seven men forward, and then the apostles lay their hands on them to commission them for this work. Now, it has been often noted by commentators that, that each of those seven who are selected have Greek names. That most likely means that these seven were Hellenists, themselves. Now, they probably didn't have to be. We, don't, we didn't hear that in the criteria that the apostles laid out. But who knows the needs of a community better than those who are themselves part of the community, right? Jesus always knew what was in the hearts of all men. But we don't. So there is much wisdom in utilizing those who understand the intricacies and the nuances that others may overlook or misunderstand if they're not from that community. Now, in addition, we should also note that those who are appointed to serve in this way are clearly not limited to service in this way. We'll see that in the coming weeks. One of these, Stephen, preaches a fiery sermon in Acts 7. And another, Philip, is a clearly skilled evangelist in Acts 8. So while the church is the body of Christ, imaging him to the world together, it doesn't mean that each of us fits squarely into neat little boxes, as though we can only do one thing and one thing only. Rather, each of us can image Jesus to the world in many ways, but, but we need one another in order to, to, to image him fully to the world around us as we ought. Now, many believe that this passage could be called the selection of the first deacons, a word which itself means servants or perhaps waiters. However, that, that term isn't explicitly used in this text, nor are the 12 apostles here called elders. So while there may be related ideas happening here, we, we, we ought to be careful not to directly conflate the Bible's teachings on elders and deacons with what we see here in Acts 6. However, the model here does provide wisdom for us today in making similar selections. And in fact, here at Grace Fellowship Church, we use this criteria when we're selecting deacons. I think we are wise to do so. I think we just want to be careful in, in saying, well, those are deacons, clearly. Well, Luke doesn't tell us that they are. So let's just humbly say, maybe. And sure, let's use that model. But we can also use it even more broadly in determining how we can show the likeness of Christ to the church community and, and even in, uh, in our church's many sub-communities. And by subcommunities, I'm referring to the many ways that we can divide up the members of our church and of our community into various overlapping groups. I don't know if you guys have ever looked around and thought about this. I think about it all the time. Just within our church alone, we have singles, we have married couples, we have small children, and we have older children, we have undergrads, and we have grads, we have infants. And we have the elderly. We have adoptive parents. We have parents of children with special needs. We have new believers. And we have 
more mature believers. We have the sick and the vulnerable, and we have the healthy and the fearless. We, we have the very lonely and bored, and we have the overworked and the overwhelmed. We have the discouraged, and we have the zealous. We have the unemployed, and we have the well-off. We have some who need rides, and we have some who have enormous vehicles. We have differing cultural and racial backgrounds with their associated needs. And we have many, many more than that. And if you then even were to walk outside those doors and start walking around the neighborhood and talking to people, you would discover many, many more groups than even that. And so what do we do about the needs of this church and of our community? Well, what we don't want to do is wait for the elders to do it all. Please don't do that. Goodness, no. But what we have done and what we will continue to do by God's grace is to look to our church community here, to you guys, to you at home, just as the leaders in, in this passage looked to its community as well to show the church and the world the likeness of Christ. So many of you are already doing wonderful work in that regard. You, you are doing such wonderful service, such wonderful ministry. Together, you are imaging Jesus to this church and to the world. Take, for example, our deacon team. Vadim Isayev, Aaron Kroll, Bonnie Drips, John and Rachel Walker, and Becky Miller. These men and women do so much here to serve you behind the scenes that you probably have no idea, even close to the extent of what they do. They oversee finances. They take care of this building and the other building and its property. It's over there, I guess. The other building's over there. And uh, they, they, they work with YKC, which is the Korean church that we share this building with. They organize events. They care for our children. They arrive early to help set up, and they are among the last to leave after tearing down every Sunday. Or consider our care team, which is overseen by our deacons, and does even more than I know about in order to care for so many of the practical needs very much in line with what we just saw here in this passage today. Another example, Ryan Schreckengast leads our membership class. I used to do that myself. Ryan's home today. Ryan, I can't tell you what a joy it is to entrust that very important role to you. And I know that many of you here have become members at Grace Fellowship because you sat in on Ryan teaching a membership class. And Ryan also serves on our, on our preaching team, offering extremely valuable feedback to our preachers every week so that all of us get the best possible teaching the Grace Fellowship Church has to offer. Ryan's help even this past week has made a huge difference in what you are hearing right now from me this morning. So Ryan imaging Jesus to me is now helping me to image Jesus to you. How about uh, Jared Muller? Jared provides rides for college students who need them so they could come here and see the church. 
You're too tall to hide, Jared. Sorry. Uh, and, and you guys probably don't even realize this. This past summer, when we were all meeting outside and, and had all the umbrellas and whatnot out there, those umbrellas didn't just magically appear. Usually, Allie and I are among the first to show up, and by the time we would get here, Jared would be almost done doing almost all the setup, setting up all those umbrellas, setting stuff out, cleaning stuff up, wiping things down, and then we'd arrive and say, can I do anything else to help? And then he would take off and go get those students. Thank you, Jared. Uh, Terry and Lonnie Don- Dobbinsbeck show up here early almost every week, and they, like, vacuum the foyer and clean up around here. I don't even think anybody asked them to do that. I think they just love all of you, and they want to do as much as possible to remove as many distractions so that you will see Jesus and not dirt and leaves and stuff in the foyer, which is what usually it looks like when I get here. Slava Dimitriev has literally, literally torn down and rebuilt entire rooms in this building. Because of Slava, I am no longer scared to use the men's restroom. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you can clap for that. Man, I I didn't want to send my kids in there. All right, we have several, uh, I'm sorry, small group leaders who care for our church by facilitating fantastic discussions at the end of every service, even, perhaps especially, when uh, we preachers do less than stellar jobs on a given week. They have to deal with that chaos and try to bring it around to something biblical. We also have growth group leaders who likewise guide many of us week after week in, in, in a deepening love and knowledge of God. It's hard work, and especially in this pandemic, to figure out all the logistics, how to bring people together, how do you build community when you can only see people on a screen. Thank you to all of you who have stepped up to lead in that way. And then there's our AV team, uh, including Jeff Scott, who faithfully hosts Zoom for us each and every week. Okay, Most of you would literally not be able to be part of this right now if Jeff had not showed up and let you in. Jeff has facilitated that whole thing. And and Adam Folk, has, who, who, who has not been able to be here, during this whole coronavirus season, has designed our entire AV system and has been running it remotely for months. Like, he's running AV right now and he's not there. Isn't that freaky? I didn't know you could do that. But Adam does it every week. My wife, Allie, who I could endlessly praise and is dealing with a bunch of squirmy boys right at this very moment, spends so much time each and every week thinking and praying, and and practicing for worship, and has done so without complaint for more than 13 years at this church. She images Christ so brilliantly that I scooped her up as fast as I possibly could. That was wise on my part. Kelly Fiella sets up communion for us every month. I never remind her. I don't have to. It just shows up, and it's ready to go. And that ritual, by the way, very, very precisely images Christ to us. Dan Fiella faithfully leads these passionate times of prayer for our church, often hidden away in spaces where where many of us do not even see. And you do not have to read your Bibles very long to see our Savior Jesus doing the exact same thing. How about Becky John? My goodness. 
Becky John oversees caring for the largest subcommunity in our church. Ironically, they're the smallest, our children. Those of you who have only gotten to join us over Zoom, you may not realize that we usually have more children than we do adults in this church. So thank you to all of you. I know there's a lot of you. I can't even name all of you right now for sake of time. But thank you for those of you who serve as our Sunday school teachers and our helpers and back when we could, helping out in the nursery, even during the service, missing the sermon so that others would know the likeness of Christ. Among those is Steph Schreckengast, who also does announcements for us each and every week. She's not here this morning. Her children are not feeling well. But Steph has never complained once about that role, even though on more than one occasion, I have like told her she needed to do something within minutes of her having to get up here and talk about it. Steph also leads our global mobilization team, and oh, what incredible work you all do. You have introduced us to the Weinhoffers and the Adairs, who are doing this work of imaging Jesus to the people of Japan. You have helped us remain connected with the ranks when they were doing the same and will be doing the same in Uganda. And you've even helped us learn about local ministries like the Center, Care Orphan, Center County Orphan Care Alliance and the Pregnancy Resource Clinic, whose services are offering hope to the most vulnerable of peoples, orphans and the unborn. And many of you, I know, are serving on, on these A-teams, these advocacy teams for our missionaries, imaging the likeness of Christ even when separated by thousands of miles. And speaking of missions, I, I want to highlight and praise God for Timothy and Teresa. I don't even know if they're on Zoom right now. But, but they have been joining us over Zoom since last summer all the way from Kenya. And Timothy and Teresa have a fantastic ministry over there. Look it up. It's called Teresa Missions. One dedicated to preaching God's word faithfully while also meeting very practical needs in their community, caring for orphans and abused girls. I praise God for you guys. You, yeah, they're, they're, they're clapping. I don't know if you can hear that. You guys are doing incredible work. You are showing the likeness of Christ in incredible ways. And really, I, I could go on and on and on. I, I gotta keep going in this text here, but time fails to list all the ways that so many of you are regularly serving faithfully. And frankly, even if I listed every one of you here and at home by name, I would not presume to know even the smallest fraction of what you're actually doing to image Christ week after week after week in, in, in our church and to our local community. I don't claim to know even a small part of it. You provide rides, you give financially, you listen, you teach, you pray, you encourage. I praise God for all of you. You are doing this table ministry, even if you never stand up front here. This church, this local community, and this world shine more brightly in the likeness of Jesus because of you. Please keep it up. And if any of you are not serving in these ways, by the way, maybe, maybe you're newer here, or maybe you've been around and you just haven't gotten involved in some of these ways, let me challenge you to simply look 
around. Do you see Jesus in these men and women? Look like them. Look like Jesus. And if you're not sure how to do that, the other elders and I would be delighted to talk to you and to listen to how God has made you in particular and to discern with you how you could help image Jesus here, that you might faithfully serve tables alongside these other amazing men and women that God has gifted us with. As our church is, has, has increasingly done this in all the ways I've mentioned and more, we've been amazed and thankful to see what God has been doing as a result. And those results sound very much like what Luke tells us what happens in our final verse this morning. These are the results. Let me look at verse 7 again. Read this with me. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What an absolutely incredible sentence that is. As a result of the church banding together to image Jesus through both word ministry and table ministry, the church of Jesus Christ both grows, it grows both in, in depth that the word of God continued to increase and in breadth that the numbers of disciples multiply greatly in Jerusalem. And did you catch this? Those who most understood the nature of daily, constant service, the priests became obedient to the faith. These were those who just a couple chapters ago were themselves causing the external pain that we talked about against this church, leading the charge against the apostles and opposing this message at every opportunity. What won their hearts was not a masterful sermon by a spirit-filled apostle. Nor was it a miraculous jailbreak by an angel. What won their hearts was that these priests saw the likeness of Jesus as expressed in the church's care for some overlooked widows. Has that kind of care won your heart? If you're listening this morning and your heart is stirred, but, but you aren't familiar with, with what we're talking about, what, what is this likeness of Jesus? What is this love that, that he has for us and, and, and for one another? If you've, if you've never before seen the likeness of Christ expressed through our text today and through deep, sincere love for one another, that you see happening in this church that we've been talking about, even, even for the weakest and most vulnerable, then I invite you to come follow Jesus. The Bible tells us that our disobedience and our selfishness have separated us from God. But Jesus came to this earth and died so that we could be restored to him. Jesus alone can restore you to God. Jesus alone can heal your brokenness. Jesus alone can satisfy 
what your heart is longing for. But listen up, because when you come to him, you don't get Jesus alone. You get this entire church community. It's part of the package deal. This community full of genuine love and compassion, which is forever growing more and more into the likeness of Jesus. We'd love for you to join us and for you yourself to be made into the likeness of Jesus. That's the whole reason we have word ministry and table ministry to begin with. Let's pray. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for this church in the book of Acts, which modeled incredible love. The apostles could have just forgotten about these widows. They could have abandoned everything and said, we all need to do it. But they wisely chose this path, this way that the whole body can serve. And they've modeled it for us that we can do the same today. And God, I praise you that that is all over the place. God, I could have gone on and on and on about this church. I pray, God, that even despite that, that we've only seen the first fruits of the work that you are doing at Grace Fellowship. And God, I pray that if there's anyone listening this morning, either here in person or listening at home over Zoom, that if they do not know you in this way, that you would rescue them, that you would bring them to yourself, that they would become part of this church that is imaging you to the world, that still more might know you and will one day fill your throne room. This is my prayer. This is our hope. We say this together in the name of Christ. Amen.